Well, now, good and gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together in this room be found pleasing in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, newcomers and long-timers, grace to you today from the Lord Jesus Christ and Christ's very own peace to you as well. Barbara Brown Taylor tells about the time she was invited by a group of senior adults to come and talk with them about the Old Testament and specifically about women in the Old Testament. So she did. Uh, For instance, she told them about Jael, referred to in scripture as most blessed of women, who in Judges chapter 5 hammers a tent peg through the skull of Sisera, an enemy general, as he slept. She told them about Esther, the Jewish uh, wife of the Persian king who won permission from her husband for uh, for the Jews in the empire to, quote, destroy, kill, and annihilate as many as 75,000 of their enemies. That's Esther chapter 9. She told a number of stories like that, and she says that by the end of her lesson, her audience's eyes were wide as discs. She said they thanked her very much and never asked her back. Barbara Brown Taylor goes on to say, I could just as easily have talked about Sarah, Rebecca, and Ruth, but there comes a time in every preacher's life when the horrific parts of the Bible just can't be ignored. The Bible's not simply a book of admirable people, she said, or even about a conveniently admirable God. It's a book about a sovereign God and God's covenant with a chosen people and is as full of holy terrors as holy wonders. Well, that seems about as good an introduction as any for today's text from the fifth chapter of Acts. It shows us two people, a husband and wife, who come to give their offering at church, and things don't turn out so well for them. This is certainly one of the most outrageous passages in the whole New Testament. It's weird, it's troubling, it isn't chicken soup for anybody's soul. But it does have something important to say to us if we have ears to hear. Friends, meet Ananias and Sapphira, two believers, members of the early church, who are struck dead as a doornail for withholding part of their offering from their Christian community. Yikes. Three weeks ago, we began a summer hike together through the book of Acts. And for nine weeks now, we're we're peering in at the early church to see the trail markers they left behind for us as we follow Christ today. And it's understandable, I think, if you're wondering right about now, this morning, of all the episodes in Acts, why did she pick this one? Let me give you a little background. In this story from Acts, we have a church, in fact, the very first community of women and men, and all of them share this remarkable belief that the God of the universe became a flesh and blood human being in the person of Christ, walking with us on human feet, dying for our sins, raising, rising from the dead, filling us with the Spirit's power. This is the faith today of Christ followers around the world. 
And so we had this picture of men and women and young people in whom the Spirit of God is living. And of course, the Spirit of God leads not only to a mission, the Spirit of God leads also to community. And we see in Acts how these believers mutually pledge to each other their lives and their possessions in this radical new way of living. But it wasn't long before those early believers bumped into an integrity problem. They're not alone. There's never been a church that didn't have to grapple hard with falsehood. And here's what happened to them. In those days, uh, believers were giving significant uh, sacrificial gifts to help meet everybody's needs. We talked about this in my own Bible study class this morning. And those who owned property uh, were selling their land and their possessions and bringing the earnings to the apostles who then distributed the proceeds as people had need so that the needs could be met and the mission of Christ could flourish in the world. And one of those who did uh, was a guy named Joseph, uh, a Greek Jewish believer with lots of connections in Jerusalem. And he was such a, a winsome, joyful, generous man that the, the church actually gave him a nickname. They called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. It just filled you up to be around this guy. Well, there's also this married couple in the church, Ananias and Sapphira, who, when they see the strong reputation Barnabas earns for himself by selling his property and giving the money to the apostles, decide that they would like to be praised in the community as well. And so they announce that they are going to give a gift. They own a piece of land, so they sell the land and they bring their gift. But while they want the credit for giving all that they have, they don't really want to give all that they have. And so they hold back part of the cash for themselves. Now, there is nothing in the world wrong with that. But somehow, when Ananias brings the money and gives it, he leaves the clear impression that he and his wife are giving the whole thing. In other words, he lies. We don't actually know if he lies outright or if he just implies the lie. Acts doesn't really tell us uh, what exactly Ananias says. But as he's turning to leave, Peter calls his name. Ananias? Yes, Brother Peter? How is it, Ananias, that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? Wasn't the land yours and weren't you free to do with this money as, as you saw fit? You were free to keep it all. But Ananias, you've lied. And you've lied not just to us, but to God. And when Ananias hears these words, he drops dead on the floor. Some folk from his Sunday school class come and wrap up the body and carry it and bury it. About three hours later... Here comes Sapphira looking for her husband. Peter holds up a little bag of money that Ananias had given him and said, Sapphira, is this how much you got for the land? Uh, yeah, that's right, Peter. Peter says, Sapphira, how could you conspire with your husband to test the Holy Spirit? 
The men who buried your husband are now at the door and you're next. And Sapphira falls down and dies. The guys getting back from the cemetery find another body on the floor. It's just one of those Sundays, you know. So out goes Sapphira to be buried next to her husband. And Luke adds this sentence at the very end of this story. Great fear seized the whole church. Well, I guess so. You can see why this text doesn't get used much in church stewardship campaigns. Imagine what it would be like at First Baptist D.C. if every time one of us lied or practiced deceit, either directly or indirectly toward the rest of the church, he or she dropped dead. Can you imagine? But here's the thing, friends. This story doesn't say you have to give. The story's not about that. This story says you better not lie. And I think... Maybe we understand why, right? It's because so much is at stake. And this is a crucial word, I think, here for American Christians in this very day. Followers of Jesus have it hard enough already trying to convince a skeptical world that we're telling the truth about God's outrageous initiatives of love. In an age when truth is whatever the spin doctors claim it to be, if we're not honest with ourselves in here, Why should folk out there pay mind to anything we're trying to say on God's behalf? Even so, I wonder if maybe you and I might be able to offer a little sympathy toward Ananias and Sapphira this morning. I'll bet you good money that they are both threes on the Enneagram. I bet. Some of us right now are in the Enneagram small group that Amanda Tyler is leading. The Enneagram is this ancient tool for helping us understand ourselves better and to know better why we see and relate to the world the way we do and how we can become more of the people that God made us to be. And without really getting down into the weeds here, I'll simply say that Enneagram 3s have beautiful characteristics. They are optimistic. They're resilient people who often inspire others as they live their lives. Enneagram 3s are also highly concerned with projecting the perfect image because deep down inside, they're afraid. They're afraid that people won't love them for who they are, only for what they produce and achieve. As a 3 on the Enneagram myself, I can report that Ananias and Sapphira are alive and well in me. And I'll bet at least something of them is alive in you as well. But you know what? Sometimes I wonder how the story might have ended had these two taken a slightly different path. What if they had simply said, we sure would like to be as trusting and generous as our brother Barnabas here. We do want to be that way. But to be honest, we're just not quite there yet. The best we can do now is to give part of these earnings Brothers and sisters, will you be patient and pray for us as we grow in our faith? Can you imagine the outpouring of grace and goodwill that would have followed in this caring community of people? That same grace is here for you today, and God loves to give it. Our commitment in the community of Christ 
is not a pledge to be sinless, not by a long shot. In fact, every one of us comes into the church by confessing that sinner is precisely what we are. But ours is a calling to be what we appear to be and to be more and more what God is calling us to be. And when we blow it, as we often do, we own up to it with each other and with God. And when we find systemic falsehood in the body, we confront it, never as judges. We don't get to judge each other, but God does call us to speak the truth in love. Peter, you know, didn't kill Ananias and Sapphira. He didn't kill them. He just told them the truth. Peter reminds me a little of a pastor I heard about in church, a big Baptist church in the South years ago. And his congregation was in an uproar over the issue of racial integration. Some of the members were furious at this pastor for publicly calling them to welcome all people. And they were saying hostile things in church business meetings and hostile words in his office. And some were threatening his job. And so one Sunday morning in worship, when it comes time to give the sermon, the pastor pulls out this thick book and plops it on the pulpit. Do you know what this is? He said. This is the financial record of the congregation. It tells what each of you has given for the life and work of this church. I've been reading it, he said. Found some surprises. Turns out some of you who talk the loudest as if you were invested here are not invested at all. And I've decided to to listen more to those who are invested and to stop listening so much to those of you who are not. I've also decided, he said, to put this book on the altar. It'll be here all afternoon. Any of you who want can come and read it. Later that evening, the pastor comes back to church and asks the custodian, who's been there all day, if anyone had come. The custodian said he hadn't seen a car within miles of the place. Friends, that church was on its way to getting better. Because part of the beauty of confronting our own falsehood in the body of Christ is that something good and life-giving gets released out into the church and in the world. You remember what happens just after the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Read just the next few verses and you see that suddenly signs and wonders are happening and more and more people are coming to believe in Jesus Christ and countless people are being healed of all kinds of diseases. And then even beyond that, the apostles get arrested and sent to jail and they end up before the religious leaders who tell them all to be quiet. But these apostles look their accusers in the eye and calmly reply, we must obey God rather than people. Do you see how these believers who found the courage to confront falsehood in the church went on to find the courage and the freedom to confront falsehood in the world? I love this story. And you know what? There there are questions about the story that really never do get answered. Why did Ananias and Sapphira do it? How did Peter know they did it? 
Why was the punishment so severe and swift? Why did God deem this to be so bad? Why immediate capital punishment with no chance of repentance? And did they go to heaven? These are questions people want to know, and we don't know. And this is a little bit alarming to us because it reveals to us a sovereign God who is radically different from you and me and whose mind we cannot read and whose actions we cannot control. And so we can't really say more than we know about this story, only that truth matters in the community of Jesus who loves us, not for what we are able to do or give or achieve in this life, but for who we are. And I don't know about you, but that sounds like awfully good news to me. And so, loving God, we are in need today of your help and healing. Help us, please, to lower our masks and to risk being known as we are and as you are making us to be. Help us to bring the truth to each other so that we may also shine the truth in the world. And we pray this in your name today. Amen.